0: Well, just about all year I'm thinking, I wonder what God might nudge me towards to share on this very important day. And um, You may have got a clue from the two Bible readings already, what we think God may be nudging us towards, but I will just need to get two things. This one's for my refreshment. These two are visual aids. Uh, by the way, we have a massive debt to um, the school here. Uh, Mary MacKillop College and to Mr Lee I think it is the the principal who's been so generous we offered to pay for the use of the facilities but they've been unbelievably generous and kind and they do have a terrific motto at the front faith and courage that I think um, you'll see may be relevant to what we're going to share today let's pray father we know because your son has told us that nothing useful happens without the work of your life-giving Spirit. And we do pray, Father, that as he has told us, you would give the Spirit to those who ask. And we ask that you would send your Spirit to speak to each one of us and to the people on either side of us, uh, that you would guide us in this and that we wouldn't just listen, but it may please you that by the power of your Holy Spirit and your Word, that we would be transformed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I will make you... Now, I, my sister Brahman as many of you know, had a car accident and her neck was broken, and until they went kind of semi-broke, she had, living in the house, a, a helper. And one of them, her name was uh, Elaine, and... Um, because she came from New Zealand, she needed to read some self-help books to recover. Actually, as you know, for you New Zealanders, I think New Zealanders are terrible overachievers. They do so well in so many things. But anyway, she was reading a couple written by Christians, as most of the, the earlier self-help books were. Uh, and she told me she'd, she'd done this thing. She discovered I was a Christian. She said, oh, yes," yeah. she said, I often quote a verse from Jesus. I said, oh, which one is that? And she said, um, I will make you. I mean, where does Jesus say, I will make you? And of course, it's in these verses, in Matthew uh, chapter 4, almost identical to the way it's recorded in Mark chapter 1, where Jesus says to these people, I will make you fishers of men. Now, she left off the fishers of men part, and she left off the follow me part, but she found it inspiring to think that Jesus would make her. So whatever it was that she wanted to be, um, she was confident that Jesus would make her. And I do wanna draw your attention to that extraordinary promise that Jesus makes uh, to Peter and the other disciples. You do know it. This is, we're really going back to the DNA of Christianity. It's very helpful to do that. Some of you all know that there's a word "radical," which is used in various changes. But lots of changes that are called radical—they're not technically radical changes. They're big changes. But a radical change in the in the real sense of the of the word in its original meaning is back to the root. Uh, The radical—well, you see it with a radish. It's a root. That's what the word means. So a radical change is where not where you start something afresh and new, but where you go back to the root. Um, the, not that we want to talk about Anglicans and Roman Catholics, you know, since we're you know, in, in our friend's building. But the, um, the, the phrase that the, that the early founders of the Anglican church, when they were sort of trying to sort it out from its peer they said, we, we want to scrape back to the hull of the boat. If you, if you know anything about boats, they often get fouled if they're sitting in the water. And every so often you need to sort of scrape them back. Sometimes if you see a boat that hasn't been well looked after, there's just mountains of stuff on the side. So every now and then we need to go back to the root of what Jesus says it is to be Christian. We see this need, I think, in the Lord's Supper where Jesus says, as, as we've mentioned previously, he constantly says, don't forget I died for you. And you may well think, are you kidding? Yes, Jesus says, even if you know it still technically, the weight and the wonder of it can be lost to us. So I thought it would be helpful if we went back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, where Jesus says, and these are the first words that he records that he says to anybody apart from either God his father or John the Baptist. These are the first words out of the mouth of Jesus in Matthew's gospel and in Mark's gospel. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It takes us right, but this is where he starts with these guys. He calls on them to, to line up behind him is what it literally means. To, to come behind me, let, let's go in a convoy. It's a standard way that a Jewish rabbi in Jesus' day would call people to be a disciple, an apprentice or a learner, which is what we are as Christians, isn't it? We're all learners. We could all walk around with L plates on the front to remind us too that we're all under construction so to be patient with each other when we blow it and are jerks, briefly. Uh, but the, there's a, one of the Jewish rabbis coined this phrase that was often used in Jesus' time, which said this, a disciple should have the dust from his master's sandals on him. It wasn't that there was anything magic about the dust, and I don't think they actually meant the real dust. What he's saying is you should be so close behind your rabbi, following so closely that the dust off his sandals would get on your feet and ankles. And this is, of course, the call, it? because this first thing from Jesus is an invitation I think when I first ran into God uh, as a 19-year-old, I saw it as a command, because I did sort of see God as very bossy, um, too big to argue with, unfortunately. But I, so I heard this as a command, follow me. But now I realise, no, 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 it's, it's an invitation, come with me. You know, come and learn from me. I'll, I'll show you about life and what it is to be fully, thoroughly, wonderfully human. I'll show you how to deal with all the sorts of situations that Jesus gets himself into. And we should follow behind him as closely as possible. So the reason why Christians do this and not that is because he does that. Um, Physically for the disciples, if you ask them, why are you in Bethany? Well, he's in Bethany. Why are you now beside the Sea of Galilee? Because he's beside the Sea of Galilee. Why are you going through the Samaritan territory? Jews never went through Samaritan territory, but Jesus did. Well, they went there because Jesus did. Sometimes they understood what he was doing. Often they didn't have the faintest clue what he was doing. And they found what he was doing quite troubling. But they had become followers. And this is the invitation. This is our part of the bargain in a sense. We say, yes, I'll become followers. Now, many years ago it was quite a thing for people to go on about WWJD and then it's also become a thing to knock it. WWJD stands for? What would Jesus do? Uh, others have said you should, really should have WDJD before you have WWJD. WDJD is what did Jesus do? Ask ourselves that question first. And from that perhaps deduce what we think Jesus would do. But that is, that is the thing of being Christian. That's just kind of one, one basic way. We speak about going from strangers to being believers. That is those who trust him for forgiveness and mercy. And you follow Jesus Christ because you know he's trustworthy. Whenever he asks you to do something that looks negative and as if it would actually perhaps deny you life and joy and privilege, we're always mistaken. Um, If you've seen that Karate Kid movie, which I think I've seen half of once, he gets, he gets taught up to do a whole lot of things, a whole lot of activities, That in the end he discovers, wax on, wax off, he discovers actually having got those sort of things going, it, it actually becomes the key to being a really good fighter. And everything Jesus calls us into is because he knows us, he loves us, and we'd be silly not to follow him. He does say at times it will be hard. Jesus never pretends, he's not into false advertising, So he does say, you'll need to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. I think we've seen a bit of that without going into all the details of it and all the ins and outs and the rights and wrongs with that whole business with um, that football team called the Demons. That had to be a problem, didn't it? Having a team with them. That is your mascot. But the um, Essendon. They are the Demons, aren't they? Yeah, good, good. The Bombers, same thing or different thing? Different thing. The stuff I don't know you could, you know, it would fill a building this big. <laughs> well, forget that. But anyhow, the, the interesting thing, they've got an organisation called the Purple Bombers, which is the official LBGTQI, etc. cetera, um, group of um, Essendon supporters. And the man made an interesting comment after Andrew Th- uh, Thorburn did stand down. He said, I did not expect it. I knew getting him to resign from the church would be difficult. I did not expect him to resign from the club. And it's interesting, I think at that point, although that particular man we know, I know for other things, has had a bit to do with Christians, it's kind of surprising that he was surprised that when given a choice between another highly paid job, because he's had a few, or feeling that he would have to be disloyal to the Christian community he belonged to, that this guy knew it would be difficult but he was surprised that Andrew Thorburn chose to keep pursuing what he understood to be the will of Christ for him and his friends. But of course that's what Christians are always doing, isn't it? Sometimes we get it wrong, sometimes we make mistakes, but the commitment of heart is, I don't care what it's going to cost, I don't care if I'm the only person on the planet who's following Jesus, to the best of my knowledge I'm going to read what he does and put it into practice that is the way jesus says to abundant life fulfilled life and so in the baptism we have this statement where where the person being baptized is pray that they will continue to be christ's faithful soldier and servant until their life's end that we are men and women under orders right that the question is always what does jesus want me to do with this money what does jesus want me to do in terms of housing what does it mean for me to follow Jesus in terms of this relationship now? That is always the question. And that, that is the way to satisfying and joyful and fruitful living as a true disciple of Jesus. Follow me, Jesus says. Now, I think that's the first part of a conditional promise. Conditional promise is where you say, if you do this, I'll do that. So Jesus invites us to follow him, to be one of his people. And it's worth just noting here before we move on, Professor Daryl Bock, who's who's a a terrifying brainiac and has made a massive study of the Gospels of Jesus, says this, The call and the mission of Peter, because it's actually Peter who we hear being called to follow him and he will be made. The call and mission of Peter are no different from the call and mission of the church or of the individuals within the church. Peter is here the representative disciple much more than he is one of the apostles. And I think that is particularly true in Matthew's gospel where what we call the apostles, the 12, are always portrayed just as disciples. They are the model disciples. This is what it means to follow Jesus. And he's given an invitation to follow, which he takes up. And attached to it is the promise, the strange promise, where Jesus says, I will make you. And this is the thing I've been pondering of late. Jesus promised to make you. That he will create something uh, of you, he will craft and rebuild you. He will manufacture something. He will be the cause of something that is not true at the moment. He says to the disciples, "I will make you fishers of men." And most of us know that that's a that's a picture of people also being called into being disciples. He is a fisher of fish and he's being transitioned. Now, I don't think there's any reason to think that the 12 disciples were chosen because Jesus could see that whatever it is that takes to make you a good fisherman on the Lake of Galilee will make you a good drawer of people to Jesus. Particularly when you hear most people talk when they talk about it. So often we, they talk about it as if it's fishing like I do with a rod and you know a lure or something. No, 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 it's net fishing. It's a completely different thing. People, he's all, oh, you've got to have the right bait and all this sort of stuff. No, no, no. What Jesus says is, I will make you something that you're not. I will change you. I will make you. Now, that's good news. He will make you something it will be wonderful to be. It will be the fulfilment of your destiny. Follow me, Jesus says. And if you put yourself in that location with all of our ups and downs and all of our mistakes and coming back for fresh forgiveness, he will change us. He will make us into something we're not. He will do the water into wine trick. Right? This, is, this is the first of the miracles recorded in John's Gospel because it's such a picture of what Jesus does. He turns water into wine. It's not because the water is particularly winy, and he knows oh, it'll be a snack for me to just mess around with a few of the molecules here. Uh, there's no indication that the water in those big jugs was particularly holy, spiritual, pure. It may have been full of all sorts of bacteria. But Jesus is able to turn water into into wine he's able to make water into wine now as many people have noticed he does that all the time like this wine I've got here is the standard business of God making water into wine he just does it through a little machinery called the grape and a little creature called a human and we work those things together and God is always turning water into wine he just does it one time slightly more spectacularly but this is I take it, what he's saying is Peter and the boys and at this point, they are representative of us, and I'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, follow me. Give your attention to me. And I'll make you something you're not. He's not saying, you're nearly it. I'll just tweak you. He said, no, 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 I'll do the water to wine thing with you. I'll make you. I'll transform you. Now, this is the first thing that is recorded of Jesus speaking to anyone who's who we would call Christian, and they would call disciples. Now, it's interesting when you go to the last part of Matthew's gospel, which is uh, almost as famous, where Jesus is talking again to the disciples. Some of them are still struggling to believe he has risen from the dead. Some of them worship him, but he says in verse 16, while some still doubt it. They say, I can't believe it. It's too good to be true. But then Jesus says those amazing words, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. There is not a a statement like that from anyone else in human history where some human claims to have all authority in the entire galaxies and the cosmos. But That's what Jesus says of himself. And he says to his disciples, therefore go and make disciples. So he says to the disciples, go and make disciples. Now the penny dropped for me with this at the CMS dinner uh, that was held at St. Matt's a couple of months ago. He says to the disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. It's always appropriate for someone who is a disciple to be a baptised disciple. And the second thing it says is teaching them, that is the people you make disciples, teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. Now here's the thing, sometimes Christians, we have discussions, well actually, this wine is called quibble. So sometimes we Christians, we quibble. We argue about, well, is Matthew 28 really to us? Uh, And almost as if we don't want it to be to us. And why wouldn't you want it to be to you? Why wouldn't anyone who's a disciple want to be part of making others or helping others become disciples? But what he says is "What, what the disciples are to do for those who get made into disciples is to teach them all Jesus commanded him. What is the last command Jesus gives to the disciples? It's to make disciples. So it would be very odd if in that context where he's just given them the invitation and the, and the go and make others disciples, if you left out that last great command. We were, you know, Hannah asked us, you know, who preached the first time we came to St. Matthew's? Well, it was easy for me, it was me. <laughs> And, and, uh, and, and I thought very carefully about the first time I spoke and I don't expect any of you to remember, I spoke from Psalm 23 because I thought the church was troubled at that stage and I thought I'd speak, I think I only spoke for an hour and a half but um, <laughs> you're going to be disappointed today But um, in terms of those of you who like the hour and a half sermon but, um, and if I knew that next Sunday was the last time I was going to get to speak at St Matt's I would think very, very, very carefully. Even a fat boy like me might even fast and pray to, to, to try and, you know, what should I, what, what does God want me to speak today? Your first and your last, if you're an organised person, and I'm not organised, but even I think hard about my first and last things. The first thing Jesus says to anyone who would be like a Christian, like a disciple, is, Follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. The last words he says, and he knows it's his last word. This isn't he's talking away and suddenly he dies. He's leaving deliberately straight after this. The last thing he says is, You are my disciples, as they're called in those verses in verse 16. The 11 disciples went to Galilee. You're my disciples. Your task is to help other people become disciples and teach them everything. So, I want to suggest to you it's it's difficult to see why we would ever think that any of us is excluded from the eternal privilege of helping other people get to know Christ so that they would follow him. Why would anybody want to find a way to avoid that? I do think I know why we sometimes do it. But just off the bat, it looks like a wonderful privilege, doesn't it? To play some part. I mean, Jesus doesn't come to earth to make people nice and good. Otherwise, he would say to the disciples, follow me and I'll make you nice and good. He's on about something more exciting, deeper, richer, more enduring than that. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. As Daryl Bach says, Peter is he's just like anyone the whole church and individually. So Jesus makes a promise to us that as we follow him, he will make us into something that we're not. He will make it possible for us to play our part in helping others become disciples. There'll be other things that we'll do. It's not the only part of our life, but it's an absolutely central part of our life. The helping others discover the light, to leave the darkness, to enjoy knowing Christ as Lord and Saviour and coach. This is his promise. There's an invitation and there's a promise. Now the problem is some of us are too humble. We think, oh, man, I'd, 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 I'd like that, and I, you know, but I just can't do it. Just be careful of allowing your supposed inability to trump God's ability. Do you really think that your self-analyzed inability to help other people become Christians is more powerful than his ability? if this water says, I am, I'm very watery water and I ain't ever going to become wine, Jesus can make it happen. Jesus is the one, I will do it. it. doesn't even say we will do it. I will make you a fisher of men. So we need to trust him. He is able to do the impossible. He is able to transform us, any of us, to be people who can play a wonderful part in his great work of calling people into his family, into his school to be his disciples? You know, I, I, there's a—it's fun being alive because you meet really interesting people sometimes. And I met this amazing man, Paul Hopwood, um, a lovely Christian man. He was second in charge of the vet faculty at Sydney Uni because there was a period when they had it. The dean was a Christian, and the second in charge was a was a Christian as well. And but he was a great hunter, he taught me a lot about fishing. The joke with Paul, it's not a very funny joke, was although he's a vet, if it's alive he knows how to catch and kill it. Because um, he also had guns and all sorts of other things. He was a country boy. Anyhow, you know, I was fishing one time with Paul, we were just drifting down this river together, and he said, you know, he said, I'm, I'm hopeless at helping people become Christians, I don't, I don't even try. He said, all I do now is I, I invite friends to come and hear people like you speak and other people speak. and I, I, I was so shocked to hear that from paul i honestly i don't know if I even said anything articulate back to him because paul is a, he's known Christ all his life if he ain't a Christian, none of us are christians he He added a wing to his family home so that he could have people from Mongolia who were being trained in in Sydney in how to use the Bible better so he's actually built an extension not just not for his but so he could be part of the mission. I heard him on on the radio once debating with Professor Singer from Princeton University about some ethical issues, and I thought he gave him a caning. This is is not a bloke who's... He's not dumb. he's, He's articulate. He knows Christ, but he's passed a judgment on himself that Jesus cannot make him a fisher of men. And I think if I may say with due respect, oh, I think he was wrong. Right? It's just silly to say that Jesus can't do it. If there's any water that's so watery he can't turn it into wine. Right? Is, that, is that how tough you think you are? Michelangelo uh, said once when he was partway through painting the Sistine Chapel, I am no painter. Well, i Beg to differ. I'm no art critic, but I think he can paint. Now, he may have been a better sculptor. He probably was. And maybe he felt more naturally at home working with marble. But he was certainly a painter. But his own assessment was, I ain't no painter. Well, he didn't say that. He said it in Italian. It would sound much better. (laughs) (laughs) I was no (laughs) painteress. Uh, I'm working on the accent. But, the, but but, see, it's just worth hearing that often we say, I can't. What we're actually saying is, Jesus can't. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you. I will transform you. There's a wonderful movie, which is unavailable through some legal fight that's going on about Moses and the Exodus and they actually had the Moses character is wonderful because he's small not some massive big Charlton Heston guy who's an obviously born leader he's small and he actually speaks of when he gets nervous with a stutter which is the Bible says he had a speech impediment he was slow of speech and there's a beautiful part when we arguing with God God is calling him to go back to the most powerful man on the earth and demand the ridiculous that the slaves be released and he's arguing backwards and forwards. You think you sound pretty articulate to me, Moses, saying you can't speak, you're having to go here. Sure. But then there's a beautiful part when God is arguing back with him, saying, "I will be with you. I made the mouth. You know, you'll be okay." And there's a lovely part where the little guy Moses just goes, he just goes, "Not me, not me, not me, not me." It's he's just falling apart, and he says, "No, no, no, not me, not me, not me." And in the end, the great thing in this movie, you can see him growing in confidence in God and seeing that God is actually using him. As time goes on, it's wonderful. I'll be glad when we can get our hands on that movie again. But I want to suggest some of us are like that. We're saying, look, I've only just become a Christian two weeks ago. Or I've been a Christian for decades and I can't do it. I can't play a part in that. I'm thankful that others do. I'll give money so that others do. But I think what Jesus is saying more, he's saying it's a conditional promise. If you commit yourself to follow me, I will make you fisher of men. I will, find, I will transform you and find you a place in that great work. There are other things for you to do. There are members of your family to love and work to be done, etc. But we oughtn't to remove from the centre of the game what Jesus in his first statement to anyone and his last statement to the disciples makes absolutely central. I feel a little embarrassed about this, but it's good that none of you knew me then. I was involved in a fairly long argument with people, arguing against constantly telling Christians to share their faith with their neighbours. And I am against constantly, you know, hassling Christians every week in church Are you sharing the gospel with them. But I think that, that's not what this is saying. Right? It's saying, no, 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 Jesus I will, I will make you a fisher of men. And it's a wonderful adventure, even though it is a bit nerve-wracking. But that's what Jesus says. Now, the last third point is simply this. The St. Matt's staff team, uh, along with the parish council and others, we we promise we'll do all that we can to help. Now, we can't make you. We can't transform you in the way that Jesus can turn water into wine or make the deaf to hear or those who can't speak able to speak or even the dead to walk. He's able to change things. But we'll do all that we can, and Andrew used the word equipping people. That's, that's the job, to help equip you and to energise you and to remind you of the power of Jesus and to try and do all that we can to keep you happy in Christ so you'll be wanting to share the good news of Jesus with others, doing all that you can, play whatever part you can. And there are different parts to play, like in a trawling ship, there's all different parts. People play different parts in the team from the skipper through to the engineer to other people. But it's all part of the one, it's crystal clear what that's on about. It's all about fishing. There's a fellow called David Platt who's written a couple of books with the title Radical. And one of the ones that I think is helpful in church to, to read or to listen to is Radical Together. And he tells this story of a man who, um, this, this is what the man said, Mark said this, uh, he said, you name it in churches, I have done it. I'd been on the finance team, the personnel team, I'd worked on capital building campaigns, I was involved in long term planning. Every week my diary was full of important church activities. And then I heard that I could personally be involved in helping others become disciples and helping people to become disciples who could help other people become disciples. And I realised I've spent much of my life doing all sorts of good things, but never the main thing. I found that A haunting thing that we can actually keep people doing wonderfully good things at church without actually helping them to see that Jesus is calling us follow me and I will make you I will transform you and train you and make you the sort of person that can help other people join the family become disciples it doesn't mean that we'll all become the same. I mean, you've just got to look at the four Gospels to see that. There are four Gospels we've got. Matthew and Mark are similar, but even they're quite different. Luke is different again, and John is just bizarrely different. And this is the way with it. God. God doesn't he doesn't have a cookie cutter. He doesn't want toilet, you know, to turn us all into light cheese or all of us into whatevers. Right? Well, that wouldn't do us any harm, frankly. I'd want a few more of those. That'd be great. But, um, but he will... He will He's made you, given you a certain temperament. He will work with that and there'll be a mission and a ministry for you to do, according to Jesus, to help disciples, to make disciples. Disciples are those who in the end are part of making other people disciples. That seems to be what Jesus is saying in Matthew's Gospel from beginning to end. You see it also in Luke 9 and other things like that where Jesus is arguing with someone about becoming a follower and he says, let the dead go and bury the dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom. So they're actually negotiating about this guy becoming a Christian and Jesus sees it as, as an inherent part of it is part of spreading the kingdom of God that Jesus announces. So there's our job to take up the invitation, to afresh commit ourselves, for me to commit myself, to keep as little gap between us and Jesus as possible, to get to know him so we can become more and more like him that his dust would be on our ankles. He will do his job in transforming water into wine. And we, as a church leadership team, will do all that we can to help equip. So things, many of you have done the Just Listen course, uh, which is a really wonderful course on how to quite easily and naturally uh, engage people in conversations about Jesus. People are actually quite thirsty to speak and to know God. The research is pretty clear. Not everyone is an angry atheist. There are lots of hungry and thirsty people and they're looking often to find someone that they can talk with and hear about God and eternal life and Jesus. That's our, op- that's our opportunity. So, brothers and sisters, I want to invite you this year to become a Becomer. Okay, I'm going to see what Jesus does in terms of making me a fisher of men. And lastly... You're going to hear this phrase a bit because I, think it's, I find it helpful. One wins one. Why not just pray and perhaps talk? We're going to suggest this happens in life groups as well. Sometimes just stop and say, who may God be using me to share the good news of Jesus Christ? The message that turns people from being enemies to being God's friends. From empty to being abundant followers of Christ. One wins one. And just to pray that God would use you to play a significant part in one other human being uh, going from the darkness to the light Uh, and and along the way that God would make us willing to be turned from water into wine in this area. Uh, I will make you, he says. Let me pray before Sally and Amadeus come and lead us in prayer. Uh, Lord Jesus, we do thank you for the way that you called unlikely people to be your key first disciples. People who were pretty ordinary and made ridiculous mistakes. Uh, But thank you that you did make them fishers of men. And thank you that through their faithful service and then through the faithful service of thousands of others, we, 2,000 years later on the other side of the world, have been called into being your disciples And help us this year to follow you really closely, uh, to keep our eyes on you, the one who's loved us, the one who knows how to live. And we do invite you and ask you to please make us people who you will use to help others become disciples. We're really happy, Lord Jesus, for you to come and to change us from the inside. Uh, Please, may this be a year where we find ourselves being changed and put into fruitful service in various ways so we commit ourselves afresh to you lord amen